Hello, hello. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning. You are tuned in listening to the Cinematic Odyssey here on United to the Boost. I'm your host and co-host Tristan Rodriguez, alongside with me, Max Clark. Uh, Max isn't doing too well right now. He just watched uh, the Bills lose in heartbreaking fashion against the Denver Broncos. Um, but we're not talking about it. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to bring that up. Yeah, see, I I just couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Right. But anyways, anyways, we're moving on, moving on. Um, we're going to be talking about the 2017 Palm Dior winner uh, from Cannes Film Festival. Uh, the Square from director Ruben Oslund, who we've talked about before on the show uh, with Triangle of Sadness, which won last year's Palme d'Or, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed, Max thoroughly enjoyed. In fact, he loved it so much that was his uh, pick for best film of last year. Twice. Um, and, I mean, I loved it. I, I didn't like it that much, but I thought it was great. But uh, The Square... Um, going into it, kind of expecting the same thing in terms of like the satire, the comedy, the dark, the dark comedy, and uh, that angle, and in terms of mocking a very high snob, uh, high snobbity like type elite uh, society. Um, but in the in this film, there he's tackling like high art society or like um like right like yeah like i, mean, I, I wouldn't say i wouldn't say he's attacking the art society but like it's featured in art museums art critics artists and yeah, sort of the world I, that they inhabit i guess i guess mm, how sh- i guess the type the the types of people i guess he's kind of poking fun at are out of touch like modern postmodern artists who create these um these very avant-garde like art displays art pieces and at the center of the film is this art piece called the square and the mantra of the square is basically you know the square is this sacred place where anyone within the square um everyone's like respected and everyone it must be treated like um or what does it say everyone has equal rights and obligations yeah something like that within the square so it's obviously like a very um tongue in cheek kind of way to to make fun of these these artists who are in high status you know these very privileged people um who can kind of just make complete BS and call it art. Um, and, but the film follows not the artist of the, like not the creator of that art, but a curator of a museum who hosts an exhibition for that piece. But it's not like this film isn't very fluid in terms of its plot. I mean, it's kind of disjointed. There's, I would say like there's vignettes in my opinion. I don't know if you feel that way, Max, but yeah. the the main th- like I guess consistent narrative arc is this guy. Um, he 
has these moments in which he's like running into people of uh like specifically homeless people in Stockholm mm. and he's like helping them out or not helping them out or whatever and it's like a parallel for his work and he's also interacting with like some woman he met at a party who's played by Elizabeth Moss uh she she's an interviewee or not interviewee for a journalist a journalist a journalist um there we go who she who she's shown at the very beginning of the film interviewing the um our main character um who he's like i don't know he's kind of 50-50 on things um he gets his he gets his stuff stolen in the first like 10 minutes of the film uh his cufflinks his phone and his watch all of that robbed in this weird interaction yeah and then he kind of goes on this weird like journey to f- get that stuff back which he does get it back in a very weird way i mean the guy um goes to the apartment building where his phone is cuz he has a gps tracking thing on it and he writes a letter saying that he'll threaten somebody with violence if they don't give his phone back. And he dumps that letter into every single letterbox in the apartments. Uh, and then that sparks a chain of events. And then there's like uh, the premiere of the, the art where you got all these rich people, rich white people coming in and... Then there's like a ad campaign for the the square, and that was a disaster. I mean, that'll be funny to talk about. Um, that whole like YouTube video. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I. Yeah. Yeah. It was a. It's an interesting film that goes. I think. It's very encompass encompassing of a lot of different things at once. Um. But you can introduce uh, our characters of the of the film, and who they're played by. Indeed, our our main character is, of course, dear Christian, who is our uh, main character. He's our art curator, played by a Danish actor, Klaes Bang. Last name is literally the onomatopoeia Bang. Uh, lots of credit to that. I. I... <laughs> I just I like that a lot. And I know it's not it's, you know. I just think that's cool. We also have Anne uh, as played by Elizabeth Moss. Those those are really the the most notable characters. I mean, you have his um you have a, a number of supporting cast including uh Michael who is a lower level employee at at the museum who gives him the idea to send the threatening message to the uh dorm or not dorm apartment building um you have uh, two PR reps who pitch the idea of the atrocious YouTube video that gets <laughs> all the buzz talking about the museum you have his uh you have some of the older um other curators of the um museum they're like the uh account managers 
but again, they're not always named. And then there's Elma, who is a sort of like an older guiding figure. I think she's the head of the museum, but that's not a hundred percent clear. All we know is that she's all that I'm aware of that we know is that she's powerful and that he listens to what she has to say. Yeah, and um, also and also special shout out to Dominic West, who plays an American artist by the name of Julian. Mm. Uh, reason special shout out for him is because he plays Officer McNulty in the greatest TV show of all time, The Wire. So for those that haven't seen The Wire, go watch The Wire. What are you doing? You. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. And and another mention it deserves to Terry Notary, who is yes. a he is a mostly a motion capture actor. He is uh portrayed a lot of animals and and has the the the, the body language and the the movement skills to portray animals. And in this, he's a person acting as an ape, and it's a, it's very very cool to watch him work. Because the way that his his shoulders are squared, the way that he's able to contort his jaw, and even, like, make his human face look like he's a silverback gorilla. Like, that that is impressive, and and a feat in movement. And it's based on a real artist, too. Which is the really... Yeah. Oh, it's it's really cool. It's this Uh, guy named Oleg, Oleg Kulik. Which is why the actor in the the movie oh. is called Oleg. Oleg. Oh. Uh, Kulik. In 1996, also in Stockholm, Sweden, he performed in a gallery. He was chained up next to a sign that read "Dangerous." He attacked people. No he, way! What? He bit somebody, uh, and partially destroyed other art in the exhibit made by other people and his defense was these people ignored the warnings on the sign it said dangerous you chose to ignore that deal with the consequences because <laughs> like his um because when he comes into the film i mean we see him like on a screen for a few times when he's like impersonating an ape or whatever, but then when he finally comes into the film, at first I was like, "Oh, that's pretty funny. That's cool." Yeah. Am I watching Planet of the Apes but reversed? Yeah. <laughs> Are we the apes? <laughs> <laughs> Are we the apes? Uh. And then it got it progressively got violent and then kind of scary. Yeah, it was and not as fun. That was a captivating scene. I was glued. I was glued to it. It was awesome. I mean, it was demented. But like the actor, um, not in the movie, but in real life, Kulik, the artist. He. He he used it as a social commentary to react to the cultural crisis with the anger of a dog. And so that that in, inspired the other animalistic movement to react to the common culture of prey hunter hunted kind of deal with oh. Oleg the actor as played by Terry Notary, which was 
fantastic. Yeah, he was really good. Playing an ape human oh, yeah. thing. His the voices that I mean, the voices, the sounds that like they sounded spot on. It was kind of scary how he impersonated an ape like that well. Yeah, it was impressive. Yeah, it was very impressive. Um but uh yeah, I mean what did what what was like your impression? Cuz I know you loved Triangle of Sadness. So Oh, I did. What did you think about um, this? I I I loved the square as well. I do think the Triangle of Sadness is a little bit better. Um but I uh, and and brace yourselves. This is about to be a first in cinematic Odyssey history. Oh, okay. Our our first swear in the history of this podcast that hasn't been bleeped <laughs> out. Ruben Usland, the director, brace cut, brace brace yourselves, is the master of the fuck around and find out film genre. <laughs> master <laughs> or he, pioneer <laughs> maybe pioneer yeah exactly but the the fuck around and find out genre of film because so far the square and triangle of sadness is a bunch of rich people doing whatever the hell they want not realizing that actions have consequences and then the entire second half of his films are oh wait there's consequences <laughs> like <laughs> like in in triangle of sadness they don't realize that being rich and famous doesn't always put them set them up for success as um uh the the maid played by Dolly de Leon in in triangle of sadness takes over and commandeers it though she's the le- le- uh, of lowest standing on the island she becomes the most powerful due to her resourcefulness and her her wisdom and her smarts. They everybody else kind of has to experience what the bottom feels like now. The with this, not only with the distribution of the threatening letter, is Christian able to experience the consequences that that causes on other people within the building, specifically this small boy who, for somebody who says, my parents won't let me out and won't let me do anything, gets out an awful lot. But that's besides the point. That's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> he, he also has to deal with the fallback of this video from the, I would say, the most biased press room that exists in in cinema it's i mean i mean i'm sure there are more biased press rooms specifically with anyone that is racist but like that is an incredibly biased press room that really sucked (laughs) um wait when he's trying to defend the video yeah exactly (laughs) uh and they, they they kind of just they're gonna focus. They 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 decided the press room decides to focus on everything that he and the museum has not done, as though that is indicative of of the future, and, and uh, regret and what happened. So like, 
but but they're right because I think with the square we majorly focus on oh no my actions have consequences but also the idea of trust and the bystander effect and you know how much do we care for other human beings because there are so many beautiful moments where Christian will walk past somebody who's begging and asking for money, asking for change, and he says that he doesn't have cash on him, or he walks right past him, which may be, it may be true. It may be true that he doesn't have cash on him. But he ignores them at first. And then there comes a point where he needs something. He needs to call somebody and use somebody else's phone because his got stolen. He needs to help find his girls who got lost in the mall. As soon as he turns into asking people for help, it's the same reaction. It doesn't matter that he's not wearing rags and carrying around a little cup. He's in a suit and tie and carrying bags of, uh, bags of shopping uh, gifts. But they still walk past him. They still don't give him the respect. They still don't give him the, the... The bystanders don't think that he is worthy of their help. And I think that, that again, the reminder of the fact that as soon as we treat somebody like this, it's very possible that it will the world will turn around and treat us the exact same way. Yeah. And I loved that, like, constant reminder, kind of, that we always got to see it's not just the poor. We won't help anybody. Yeah. Although, I mean, the poor are highlighted. Absolutely, they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's a core tenet of the film, is the way that the high, you know, higher society... Um, kind of just flat out ignores them, but when but when it's funny though, but when, <laughs> when when um like in the case of the video, when that comes out, then it's like okay, we got to flip the script. All of a sudden, we do care about poor people now. Like with the media, like with the media, for example, the way the media kind of ate the museum alive after the video yeah. came out. But then after that media craze d- dies down, then it's business as usual. Like yeah. back to normal. No one cares about poor people anymore. Like that's just the status quo. And, um, I mean, might as well, might as well talk about the video. <laughs> and I mean, we can talk about the video and, uh, let's go to the video. And I also have something to mention about the uh, the performance yeah. from Oleg. Okay, because I've also I have other thoughts on well trust because I think that's also a core theme. Absolutely, of the film trust in other like strangers specifically. Um, and uh, I guess like the kind of dis I don't know the disjointed way that this film is kind of crafted. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of felt like it was a mess. Let's do that first. What did you think of the film, Tristan? I 
I liked the sequences or the set pieces that are shown, but the way that it was edited together I, and it just kind of felt like a big giant mess. It was, there was so many different things that Ruben was trying to talk about and it just kind of got a little muddy for me. I mean, I got the, I got the core thing. I understood the core idea, but like at the, like when the end of the film came, like the final act, I was just kind of like, um, I don't know. I don't, I didn't really understand what, like with the, with Oleg, like that whole scene, I didn't really understand what that kind of meant or what he was trying to say with that. Um, yeah. Gotcha. And also, and also this the scene between Christian and Anne when they're in her apartment. God, I thought that was funny. I thought it was hilarious. But other than that, I didn't really get anything out of it. <laughs> Fair. I hated her. I, you I didn't really like Elizabeth. Didn't. She, uh, no, I no, didn't. What? I thought she was hilarious. I thought her character was awful. I think if <laughs> I ever found my. You're familiar with the SNL sketch, the girl you don't want to talk to at a party, or Cecily Strong, the one. The um, no, I she. Don't if I found myself talking to her anywhere, <laughs> I would find myself listing the places that I wish I was instead of talking to her, including but not limited to a basement. A dry basement, a wet basement, a basement with chains, a basement of a serial killer, the basement of an abductor, uh, and the sub-basement of a nuclear bunker owned by a mass murderer. <laughs> Rather be there wow. than talking to that. Wow, dang, man. Wow. Horrible. It's like she I... killed your family or something. Jeez. Yes. <laughs> but we can get into that later. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I much prefer Triangle of Sadness. I think the um, in that film, Osloon has a very clear vision of what he wants to talk about, and he's focused on that, and he's like really coming at it, uh, no holds barred. But in this film, he, I mean, he tries to have the same uh approach with it but it, again i think it kind of gets lost in the woods with all the various different things that he's trying to bring in and i think it just gets a little messy in in my opinion but i mean yeah. that's just kind of my only complaint with the film um understandable but it was hilarious i thought it was yeah. so funny i mean that that is the by by day like that's the best part of this film is it's comedy I mean, Ruben is hilarious. This guy, this guy, this guy's humor is top notch. Um, and you know, segue perfect segue into the video portion of the film. <laughs> so yeah, as we mentioned, there's those two two uh, dudes that work for like a PR company or whatever press marketing thing, and they're trying to figure out a marketing campaign for the Square exhibit that's coming in. And so, you know, they're thinking of something of like, oh, let's make it controversial. That way we can get clicks, get people talking about it, and to come see the exhibit. 
right? You know, makes sense. Okay, I get it. Controversy drives clicks. You don't want to be too safe. Makes makes perfect sense. Um, you know, they're in the middle of a meeting with a couple of people that work at the museum. Christian walks in, uh, clearly in a rush. He's not even going to be present in the meeting. He's like, okay, he quickly glances at some documents. He's like, okay, that sounds good, and leaves. <laughs> and then the video comes out. We we don't even get to see it yet, but we're just seeing people's reactions of the video. <laughs> and everyone's mortified <laughs> by the video. And then we finally get to watch it. It's the funniest thing ever. It's, I... <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking was going to happen, but I'm like, okay, cool. It's exactly how they described it. Wait, she's got a kitten. <laughs> yeah, because basically it's just like little girl. Who, like clearly she's like a a very stereotypical Swedish yeah. girl. As they, in their words, as they put it, they're playing up to like Swedish stereotypes. I mean, I don't really know Swedish stereotypes, but... I mean, blonde. And blonde usually. and blue-eyed, I guess. I guess it's a stereotype, even though it really isn't. But anyways, it's this little girl. She looks like she's homeless, given what she's wearing. And and then she's, like, she's like crying in, like, a, like a dark, like, corner, like, very derelict-looking room. It doesn't look safe. Nope. And then... We see a shot of her in the square. <laughs> and then she blows up. You're laughing way too much about this poor child getting blown up. Blows up dude. You're laughing way too much about this little girl getting blown dude, up. She, she gets absolutely bazooka, dude. I mean, it's crazy. We see her. We see the dummy that they use. Just kind of sail off to the side after the explosion. We see that. We see the body go flying. It's not like it just explodes. We see the body go. I know. It's funny though. It's such a it's such a I was not expecting that. No one no one was expecting that. Let's be honest. Anyone watching the movie for the first time was definitely guaranteed shocked when they saw that. Yep. Guaranteed. <laughs> Yeah. Um uh, but I th I th I kind of I don't know, I read a review before I I watched well it wasn't really a review, it was like a a joke review like one sentence, you know, those one-liners on Letterbox that you always see at the yeah. top of every freaking movie. It's annoying. Uh I do those sometimes. One one of the one of those um well, I mean I think it's fine. I mean, it's fine, but when it's like every, like if you gotta go five pages to find a real review, that kind of is a little annoying. But anyways, this this guy said, um, you know, it was okay, but the um, the little girl getting blown up was genuinely hilarious, and I was like, huh, okay, weird. And then I watched the movie, and then I was still shocked. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny it's such a fu i don't know i think i think that was so funny it is pretty funny 
And she's holding a kitten? Yep. I mean, dude, add insult to injury. She's not only like a little girl, but she's <laughs> holding a cat. No animals were harmed in the making of this video. Oh my god. I mean, who in their right mind? I mean, again, I, I guess that goes to the point of what Ruben is trying to say is like, these people are so out of touch. Like, they think this will be okay to publish. This is something that is like, yeah, we did a great job. High five, everybody. Give ourselves some pat on the backs for this one. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they did get, to be fair, they did get, um, the uh the goal that they were looking for they got everybody to talk about them past they cut through the nationwide news and the disasters and the natural floods and everything like that they cut through all of it and everybody's talking about the museum now sure it's for blowing up a child but you know potato potato not too trade-offs all right you were saying keep keep finishing trade-offs must be made i mean yeah yeah, but I was going to say, with the media specifically, like, I mean, anyone with two brain cells to rub together should know how sens sensationalized media is. I mean, I don't know how it's like in Europe, but I'm assuming yeah. it's it's similar to how it is in the States, but just not as bad. Um, but at least here in the States, I mean, bro... Oh my goodness, media media is so bad. So bad. Okay, here's this topic for a couple days. All right, next one. We'll never talk about it again and act like it never happened. Um, yeah. And I guess that kind of that permeates that permeates into society and how people kind of treat various topics, whether they're important or not important, that doesn't necessarily matter. Um, but the fact that like most people's attention spans are so short and like everyone has so like short term memory loss. Um like no one really it's it's not even a matter of just remembering things, but just a matter of not really caring. Cause in this case, right, this girl is is clearly supposed to be homeless and poor. And uh Everyone comes racing to defend the poor people, but in reality, nothing's really being done to kind of help them. It's just kind of they're they're preying on the whims uh, or preying for the the uh, the the generosity of others and hoping that they can get you know a semblance of humanity. Um, treated to them or put upon them, and I guess the only person that we consistently see do that is Christian. Um, you know, we see him buy a sandwich for uh, a woman in Seven Eleven, although she was quite disgruntled about it uh, when that yeah. happened. And then she he he also gave her cash when he got his wallet back. He he gave that same woman like cash, mm -hmm. um, all of uh, in fact all of his cash in his wallet, uh, which looked like eighty dollars in 
their currency, whatever it was. Good amount. Yeah. Um, and then who else? I mean, he didn't really help out that one man that was willing to help him out. And that was I such mean, a striking image too, with that one man in the when he was in the mall when he lost his daughters. Mm-hmm. And he had all those bags next to him on the bench. Yeah. And you were talking about when he was asking a bunch of people walking by to help him out and no one answered him. Yeah. And then that one dude who walked past him earlier asking for money, he said he had no cash, and then he <laughs> goes up to him and he's like, Can you help me? And then the dude's like, All right. And sat right next, sat in between the bags, and we see yeah. that same image. And um, it was, yeah. I mean, we don't have proof that he doesn't do something for the man afterwards, but we were also not shown it. And so right. we kind That's of true. have to just deal with the fact that this is the trust exercise mentioned again uh, yeah. in practice, which is, you know, do you trust people? If so, leave your phone and your wallet in this little box and then go enjoy the rest of the exhibit. Yeah. If you do, it, it shouldn't be a problem. Your phone and wallet will be there when you get back. And and also, too, like before that that room, because he's doing like a, like a dry run with his daughters of the exhibit, yeah. and like the first room is a question... You press a button. Do you trust people or do you not trust people? And the overwhelming majority is I trust people. And yeah. then there's only like three people that said I don't trust people. Yeah. And but the second, yeah. I, I, oh, no, yeah. you were gonna say? No, go finish. And and um, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. No one trusts anyone. That's just kind of how it is. Strangers don't trust strangers. Yeah. Yeah. Because the second the daughters walk into the room, they're having second thoughts. Yeah, they hesitate. Do we we really trust this? I mean, I didn't know I was going to be asked this. (laughs) I don't know if I really do trust it. It's it's like, uh, yeah, I trust people. But then when push comes to shove, um, no, not really. Not really. Um, yeah, that's very sad. Very sad. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> it's like it, you know, it's like um, when you know when um, at least in LA, because homelessness is a very big problem in LA. I mean, it's a very big problem in the U.S. But you know you have you have homeless people who, you know, are are asking for money and are asking for something, you know, um, and just hoping for the generosity of others to bless them. And most of the time, they're just ignored, you know. And and I think there's like this stigma. Which I think is unwise. I don't know. Maybe not unwise, but a a very unhealthy stigma that kind of perpetuates this very hostile attitude that a lot of people have towards the homeless. Where it's like, oh, if I give them money, they're just gonna go buy drugs. Like, yeah, you know, it's I, I find that stupid. I frankly find that very dumb because 
what that says about you is that you know you look the you look for the worst in that person and not for the best you're very cynical uh cuz i've had a very i've had various opportunities where like in fact at the station at the radio station yeah um i remember one time it was late at night i was letting somebody into the building cuz they had to do a show i think it was at like 10 or 9 or whatever and this dude walks up to me as I was wa- literally w- about to walk in my car, and he's like, hey, uh, do you have any cash? I need, like, a bus ride to get back home or whatever. I'm like, okay. So I gave him, it was, like, 20 bucks. I, I never carry cash, so <laughs> I just use my card, but I I had cash, so I just gave him everything I had. It was, like, 20 bucks in there. And, you know, I just kind of, and he offered he offered me a shirt, and I was like, no, it's okay, man. Don't worry about it. And then, then he, he left. But it, you know, in those in those circumstances, yeah. I'm never like, oh, he's probably gonna just buy drugs. And even if he did, I I don't care. I mean, I care. I don't want him to buy drugs, but like that's his, um, his uh, prerogative to do that. If he did, I don't think he did. I genuinely believe that he used that money to get a bus fare. Yeah. Um. So. But I mean, you know, having that more optimistic attitude with with others, especially those that, you know, have uh, the way society kind of views homeless people in this very negative light, I think that that needs to change. Because how are they going to, you know, how are people, how are they going to get out? I mean, there's obviously, it's a more systemic problem. It's not like they're going to get out of being homeless because of the kindness of others. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, but it doesn't hurt to help. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, I mean, and, and it does tie back to the, the theme of the square and what that piece is meant for which is everyone inside of the square has equal rights and obligations. Everyone is entitled to the same things and is expected to do the same things for others. Consistency. That is, it is the definition of equity within that uh, that square. The fact that it doesn't happen outside is why it is seen as idealist and utopic and everything that, that Christian describes it as at the beginning. Um, that's the point. It's not the the world is not perfect, and and nobody treats everybody the way they want to be treated, or, or they'd like to be treated. And no one follows the golden commandment every single time. And I think that the the message of the square also connects back to the performance art presentation uh, with Oleg, the character. Um, And I think that's what the meaning is there. Because if we want to talk about when do we help each other, because if the obligation is, if you're inside of the square, you ask for help, you will receive it. That That is the obligation, that is the right of everybody within the square. At the the ball, the ga- the gala, I guess we'll say, 
Um, dearest Oleg is going around and messing with a bunch of people. He's knocking water out. He's chasing some guests off. He's uh, howling over people. He's, you know, making his way around. He ends up perched on a table facing a young woman, probably 30 or under. And he's getting too close. He's touching her, how she, and she does not want to be touched on the shoulders, on the face and the hair. He's rubbing his face in her hair. And then he starts to pull. And she's saying, ow, please stop, help. And she's asking for help. But no one's jumping in to help her. She's got, she calls the person next to her by name to help her out. And he does not. It, what has to happen is it reaches a point where somebody has to do something. And you again weigh it as saying, what happens if I don't intervene? He's dragging her out of the room by her hair and gets on top of her. And it looks like he's about to sexually assault her, if I'm honest. Until this guy... This older gentleman from out of nowhere comes in behind Oleg and throws him off. And then, once that one person has made the decision to go in and help, then it's way easier for everybody else to go in and help. There's about seven people, seven old men who come in and, and try and help and uh, subdue Oleg. And they're beating him, and they're, they're clubbing him. And I don't know if the implication is that they've killed him, but they... uh. I doubt it. They cream him. Yeah. <laughs> and make sure that he's not on her anymore. And it's that you have both the idea of the mob mentality of we are not going to do something unless everybody's doing it. And the idea of we're not going to intervene unless it is desperately required of us. She asked for help well before she got dragged across the floor by her hair. That didn't have to happen. Yeah. Had one of them acted earlier. Yep. <laughs> Which is why I think that's relevant because it all goes back to the square and how we treat others. Are we treating people the way we want to be treated? Are we treating people with the same right that they have to live and be? Are we are is if our obligation is to help? other people if if this woman's obligation to others is to help them when they are in need then our obligation to her is to help her when she is in need which was a fail yeah <laughs> damn <laughs> no okay that that clears it up that clears it up for me because i guess it, i i don't know when i was watching i was like hmm i didn't really connect the dots but that makes sense that yeah. makes sense, yeah. Um, when in doubt, square. <laughs> square. When in doubt, the square. <laughs> oh, man, ultimate uh, irony. Yeah. All of them were there to celebrate the opening of the exhibition. And they weren't participating yeah. in said, said exhibition. Oop. Whoopsie, whoopsie. Can I also mention... The fact that 
power is also used as uh, as another minor symbol here in the idea of that the museum and Christian don't care about consequences. I know power is the major uh, focal point of Triangle of Sadness, but here, uh, the earlier work, it's more of a background detail in which his interactions with Elizabeth Moss char- Moss's character, Anne, are basically him attempting to control whatever he can, using his position, using his power to um, sleep with her. He then holds on to his condom because he doesn't want her doing anything with his, uh, you know, result. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that's not the best way I could have phrased that, but hey, who cares? <laughs> the... But she, he doesn't trust her there, and he's like he's worried about preserving himself and how that is. Um, but I mean, she got on my nerves. She's like, "We're here to interview you." Asks literally one and a half questions, and then dips. And very, very poor at her job, I would say. I mean, that just got on my nerves. She. <laughs> And then she she has to ask him over, I guess, continued maintenance on a chair statue. Hey, are we something? <laughs> that scene was hilarious. Come on. It was with the constant attacked. noise with the constant noise in the background. That was so funny. <laughs> she annoyed the hell so out funny. of me. <laughs> she was so annoying. Was, you know who hilarious. else was annoying? The little boy. The little boy was annoying. He was well, little, okay. I get the point. Let me clear something up. It. Let me clear something. He up. was loud. He was annoying. Uh, let me clear something up. So, in the very beginning of the film after the interview, there's this interaction that he has with three different people. There's this like woman who's crying out for help and you know, people are occasionally looking back. Christian actually stops, this other guy stops. And then this woman is like trying to get away from her boyfriend or whatever, who's extremely mad at her for some reason. And, uh, they end up, you know, Christian and this other dude end up like separating the two of them. And then the interaction, they calm down, they leave, they all leave. Christian walks away and then all of his stuff is stolen. His phone is gone, his cufflinks are gone, his uh, watch is gone. And, you know, you're you're left to presume that all three of them were in on it and was a setup. And. But like, how does how does that stuff end up with the kid? Well, he wasn't he didn't he didn't steal it. Was it his parents? No. He put the entire scene of him going through the apartment building. He's putting these threatening letters in yeah. every single apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Every apartment. His parents yeah. think that the little boy's parents think that he stole this stuff. He didn't. It was other people. But every single person got the same letter. Oh, duh. I'm a dummy. I'm an idiot. And he. he Again, for a little boy who said who throws a 
big fit in a 7-Eleven at Michael, who's the assistant to Christian. He he throws a fit. He's like, you're an idiot. You talk to me. Where is this guy? He sucks. I'm grounded. Uh, my parents aren't letting me go up with my friends or play ball, and they're not letting me do anything. You're in 7-Eleven as you say this, little boy. It's like <laughs> midday. What happened? You good, kid? But the kid has one level, and it's loud, and it's insistent. I need this. Yeah, I respect And you know what? I he finally... Ma- what? I respect it, though. I mean, yeah. But he makes it to Christian's apartment. All he asks for is, is an apology. <laughs> yeah. He asks for an apology. <laughs> he asks for he then gets an apology and then isn't satisfied with the apology. Well, because it wasn't, it wasn't like that serious. I mean, it I thought it was, I thought it was generally genuine. Wait, 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 wait. Which one? We, didn't he do two? He did the one on the stairs. Yeah, that one's not gen. Come on, that one. Let's be honest. That really? one's not being genuine. Come on. Eh, I mean, that one was. It was more of a. I'm sorry you feel like this. But the second one was a genuine apology. Yes, and the effort afterwards to go and try and find him. Yeah, is a genuine effort. But the my. This child, again, this is like, they're coming home from this gala. It's got to be one, two in the morning. This kid is 12 years old. He's grounded. His parents are mad at him. They're not letting him leave the house. Except here he is at some stranger's house outside of his neighborhood. Oh, that's right. I didn't think about that. What did I did he, that even crossed my mind. This this child is the luckiest little scamp that has ever <laughs> lived on the face of the earth. Yeah. Like I I, I died. I, I did too actually. I did I too. Ki- I thought Christian killed him. When he pushed him off, when he pushed him down the the flight of steps, I was like, "Oh my God, no! Please, God, no! He better not be dead." Yeah. <laughs> Thank God he wasn't. Thank God he wasn't. Christian's trying to use his intimidation, his power, just to to shut him up. Trying to yell at him to say stop, and he pushes. I mean, he does push him down the stairs. Like yeah. that's his power. He's an adult. Twelve years is not going to push him down the stairs. But he does it with his daughters too. When they come in and they're fighting. Yeah. He's not able to separate them and calm them down. He has to yell over them and in, in, incorporate fear. And then he gets the upper hand in the situation. Yeah. Woof. Woof. Oh, boy. The square. Back to the, the square. Sp- Everything leads back to the square. Oh, leads back to the square. I mean, shout out to the little boy. I respect his resilience, his diligence. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I he definitely it. deserved that apology too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, oh my god. 
You, uh, I really like the. I really like. You know, something also too I really love about this film is the 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 way that it's shot, the cinematography. Like one scene in particular that I like to highlight is um when they when Christian and Michael go to the apartment complex, the building, and Michael's in the Tesla, and there's like these group of dudes who come up to the car and are messing with it. And always it's all the only shot is like a kind of a medium medium shot of like the upper chest of uh Michael in the back seat in the middle back seat and we we're just watching him react to all these things and there's no music nothing but it it, it there's like an odd tension to it uh and like I don't know I felt pretty in, I felt pretty tense watching that um it kind of mimics that like paranoia that inherent paranoia that I think people have when they're in an area that they don't know or not familiar with yeah and it's like playing again with that trust thing, that trust angle. Yeah. You know, did did Michael clearly Michael was not comfortable. I mean, the dude was kind of freaking out. Yeah. Was when and also Christian, he was in the building like freaking out too cuz he was dropping letters in like every single apartment unit. There was 13 floors, whatever, 14 floors, and it was like probably like 10 units per floor. Yeah. Lots of letters. I mean, yeah. And to go along with that, like, that's, it's completely a real thing and a real fear. I mean, I used to work during the pandemic and a little bit afterwards, I used to work on the east side of Buffalo. Um, I made the, the com I commuted in, so I, I didn't live there. But I commuted in to work on the east side of Buffalo, which is not the nicest part of Buffalo. It's the um, where I worked, probably like two blocks away from where the uh, the mass shooting back in May of it was twenty two took yeah. place. Um, it's not. I mean, the roads are not well paved. It's a lot of lower income housing. It's not the nicest it, it doesn't have the reputation of being nicest or the safest spot mm -hmm. but the the point is the more time i spent there the more time i spent around the people who would shop in the store that i worked and the more time that i i spent around people who you know i didn't usually associate with the more comfortable i got the more confident i got the the more normal everything kind of seemed like I can point to time I can point to times in my life where, you know, I rode the subway or like the metro line in in the city of Buffalo when I was in high school and I had no idea that there weren't people who went to private high schools or something like that. Like and riding a the the, the train basically in a shirt and tie after seeing a musical with people who were uh, just getting discharged from the hospital and everything like that, it was different. Mm. It is an unnatural experience, and it brings in that paranoia, which is a tension that maybe shouldn't be there. Which, yeah, you know, if you're ready to move on, I have a brand new variety segment. All right, all right. I'd like to bring in. Okay. This is a brand new segment for this episode and this episode only. 
of the square, and I'd like to try and do one of these every film from now on, just because I think they're gonna be fun. So we're gonna play. We're gonna play a little game. All right, Tristan. <laughs> All right. About this whole scene, about the waiting in the car, and about the Christian leaving the letters in the uh, doors. Yeah. The game is called. Is this scary or is it Scandinavian? <laughs> Wait a second. What do you mean by Scandinavian? Oh, it's Swedish, right? They're in Sweden. Yeah, they're in Sweden. But is scary it, or it, Scandinavian, I don't get it. Yes. The th- I was watching this, and I was, to put it lightly, scared out of my mind. The scene in, of of Christian going through the apartment building and jamming the letters in, and he's working with a pace, a furious pace, because he does not want to be there, and he does not want to get caught being there. But the fact that the lights in the hallway oh, are motion-activated, yes. and the fact that they only go on as soon as he stepped in, there's that constant living in shadow. He either is walking into shadow, or he's the shadow is enveloping behind him. And he's only kind of got the light in which he is. And he's always kind of walking into that uncertainty. Is that terrifying lighting design and ab- an absolutely brilliant choice from Usland and the lighting director to make that as tense and as scary as possible and filled with the unknown uh, to let, you know, the tension build of being in this unfamiliar place? Or... Is it really Scandinavian because they wanted bulbs that are more eco-friendly and aren't running <laughs> constantly? Oh, and man. is it just like a natural thing that the Scandinavian countries do? So uh, I pose that question to you. This is the game oh. show. Uh, is it scary or is it Scandinavian? I think it's Scandinavian. But it is also scary. It's scary to watch. I was terrified too watching that. But I think the lighting is Scandinavian. You're you're looking it up. I mean I I have to say I agree with you. I <laughs> I cannot I cannot verify how many apartment buildings in Sweden use this style of lighting. But I can guarantee that if this is the case, and it is a very Swedish thing to do, it also builds tension, especially with someone who's not used to it, and probably can just leave their lights on all the time and not have to worry about paying an electric bill. Yeah. But that is my variety segment. Uh, Thank (laughs) you for playing... Is it scary or is it Scandinavian? Is it scary or is it Scandinavian? That's hilarious. Thank Great you. Segment. Thank you. I try. <laughs> Great segment. All right. Who's got the best drip, though? Oh, that's such a good question. You can go first. Since I went oh, first. dear. I mean. Gosh. I mean. trippiest. <laughs> It's all it's all relatively formal. It's all relatively the formal wear tuxedos. Yeah, yeah. Ties, that sort of thing. I mean 
it it's really honestly for me it comes down to a point of picking where christian has the best drip but massive shout out to the guy that we've talked about him the guy on the mall who uh ends up helping christian out and sitting with the bags he's got an epic sweater on mm. underneath his uh his top coat i i i'm gonna actually go with this guy uh, just because I, I noticed that when he started to pray, before he knelt down to pray, mm. he was wearing this awesome sweater that was, it was like a quarter, uh, like a th- uh, quarter zip, yeah. but it was like fleece, and it was uh, like, I don't know, like ski chalet, like, I wouldn't say it's argyle pattern, but it's that, uh, that zigzaggy pattern across. Yeah, 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 I know like, what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, please. That was, yeah, that was clean. That was yeah, a clean I'm, That is, that is the drip and yes i understand that he is uh likely homeless and we feel for him but he's homeless in the film yeah he's he's homeless but he also has mad drip so you know hold on before i go into who i think is drippiest just a quick side tangent Mm -hmm. since when did swedes do cheerleading that's a great question, actually. I that was an exclusively American thing. I had no idea Europeans did sw- cheerleading. I love it. I love it, what? honestly. I mean, just got to throw that out there. Um, didn't True. know that Dana- Danish, European, Scandinavians, just Europeans in general, did youth cheerleading, like cheer competitions. Uh, and they were crazy intense, like American cheer comps. But anyways, no, they do. They do have t- team cheerleading. They have juniors. They have championships. Crazy. They have, what the? They have everything. I was so confused. I was like, "What are we in America now? What's going on?" But no, they were in Sweden the whole time. Um, best trip. Best trip. Uh, honestly. I gotta say, yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. Same guy, same guy, same guy. Yeah, same guy. Yeah, yeah. I got to. I gotta agree. Damn. I will note, by the way, there are between three thousand and four thousand uh, youth cheerleaders in Sweden alone. At least. <laughs> what? It's that big? <laughs> At least. <laughs> That's insane. I didn't know this. I did not know this. But yeah, they have they have teams that go to world cheerleading championships. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Sweden's big on the youth cheerleading, I guess. Sweden does not mess around. Uh-huh. Uh, they yeah. Took a page out of the America book. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair. Because, I mean, I don't know. Is that, am I wrong to say that? I mean, cheerleading is a pretty American thing. I'd agree with you there. I would absolutely agree with you there. Like, it's so ingrained in our culture, especially with, like, sports, like football. You know, like high school football and cheerleading. It's like they go hand yeah. in hand. Friday Night Lights. 
Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. Blindside. Oh, Blindside sucks. That movie's horrible. Correct. That movie is trash. Garbage. Belongs in a dumpster. No redeemable qualities whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Agreed. Anyways, what's going on for next week, though? What are we for next week? next week? That's a great question. Well, I know we got. Oh, that's true. You know what? Actually, I was getting so excited because I wanted to promote it this time. But, um, oh, you it's no, it's 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 November. It's November, and we're 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 approaching winter first. But that doesn't mean it's time to slow down and uh, time to stop and slow down and enjoy the season that we're in right now. <laughs> autumn. Wait a minute. Our next episode is Autumn Sonata from the famous Ingmar Bergman. That's right. That is right. That is right. This is, uh, honestly, I don't really know much about it other than it stars, um, Liv Ullman, who's in a lot of, uh, Bergman films. She, Mm -hmm. She plays a mother and it's like a mother daughter film. But she's like the daughter, and then like her mother, and there's like a a battle between them. I don't know. It's like a family yeah. drama, but they're the focus, the two of them. Um, this yeah. is this is one of Bergman's most celebrated works. Although, as I've mentioned probably in the past, uh, well, first off, this is our very first Bergman that we're even talking about on the show. Yes. So that's that's a that's pretty big for us, uh, first Igmar Bergman film, um, but uh, this um, Bergman is a filmmaker who needs no introduction. I mean, this guy is one of the greatest of all time, um, and he's highly influential. He's uh, Swedish. Woo. Funnily enough, ironically, I mean, it's a Swedish film, and this guy's Swedish. Um, Swedes represent. Any Swedish listeners out there, shouts out to you, if there are any. Um, maybe after this episode, the next episode there will be, who knows. But anyways, um, Bergman, I mean, I haven't seen much of his work. I've only seen... Fanny and Alexander, which I thought was great. I need to rewatch that though. And then The Seventh Seal, Winter Light. And uh I think that's it. I believe that's it. Yeah. I think that's it. Oh no, Persona. I've seen Persona as well. That's that's like his most highly acclaimed work. But either way, um, Autumn Sonata next week. I'm really looking forward to it, watching it, and Absolutely. talking about it. Um, you know, he's a very he's a very humanist director. Um, his his uh... <laughs> sorry, sorry for that laugh. That came out of nowhere. Jeez, dude. I was watching the, the explosion of the little girl. 
I went oh back to the God. film. I went back to the film to see the guy's drip, his outfit. Just to just to confirm the, the sweater. It was pretty dope. It was a tight sweater. And then immediately after that scene finished, just the clip of the video. <laughs> anyways, anyways, anyways. Autumn Sonata. Uh, really looking forward to that. That's going to be really, really good. Please watch it um, before next week. It'll get you into that fall mood before we smooth into Thanksgiving and all that stuff. That's and then, right. while you're home for Thanksgiving and hanging out with your family, you can put on a movie that's fun for the whole family in preparation yes. for next week. Martin Scorsese's uh, <laughs> drama Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. You can tune that on. I've heard that that's fun for the whole family, and by yes. whole family, I mean whole family. Whole family. That's you not should a be lie. On, you that's should be shoulder to shoulder, on the couch, dad on your left, mom on your right, grandma next to her, any siblings that you have, older, younger, doesn't matter, they should be around you in the in the general vicinity. The closer you can get physically to them, that's actually the better that you can be. Yeah, it enhances the experience. I mean, it's it, truly, it is an educational film. Truly. It truly is. I mean, I learned so much about what it means to be a degenerate. I, I, have, a, I have a suspicion that it'll, I'll learn so much about the different ways that I can drop the F-bomb. <laughs> because it is the third highest. Wait, really? It is third the third highest? It uses the third most F-bombs in any piece of media. Ever? Of all time? Yes, it is. What's number one? What's number one? Well, the first is a movie about swears. Oh, okay. That doesn't matter. Canadian dark comedy. The second is a documentary. Here we go again. Is a documentary called Fuck. About the (laughs) word. How and is that both, not number one? Both, uh, it's eight fifty-seven. What? And Swearnet is at nine thirty-five. Dang, nearly a hundred more. The Wolf of Wall Street is in third, comfortably, at five sixty-nine. Dang. Only wow, nine that's a big more. Gap. That's a big only, gap. Yeah. Between second only, and third. Only nine more uses of the word than uncut gems. Ah, another classic. Another classic. However, Man, there's a lot of classics up there. Hmm. However, based on the length of Uncut Gems versus Wolf of Wall Street, there is nearly one fuck more per minute in Uncut <laughs> Gems. This is statistics, folks. This is what I this is what we go to school for. <laughs> this is this is the stuff that you guys were have always been asking for but haven't really asked for. For us to talk about. This yeah, stuff Wolf you secretly of, want. Wolf of Wall Street still has the 11th most um, fucks per minute. <laughs> so, uh... Oh, that's so funny. Stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, fun for the whole family. I mean, get your little babies in there. Put them in the crib. Whatever you gotta do. Let them watch, too. I mean, balls to the walls. Uh, no, but genuinely though, genuinely though, <laughs> on a serious note, that is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. I love that film. 
Not for the same reasons that frat bros love this film. Okay, don't get it twisted. Okay? Don't get it twisted. I will make that very clear in a couple weeks. Looking forward to um, that. And then after that, we're going to be hitting Big Five Zero, number 50, episode 50 here on the Cinematic Odyssey. Yeah, with uh, In the Mood for Love, Wong Kar Wai. Oh, man, that's going to be that's going to be awesome. That's going to be a lot of fun. I know it. Um, But yeah, Uh, this has been The Square here on the Cinematic Odyssey. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Tune in next week again for Autumn Sonata from Igmar Bergman. And uh, stay safe out there. We'll catch you guys next week. It's been the Cinematic Odyssey forever. <laughs>